Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now today's message. Good morning, Covenant. Man, it's so good to see you all today. If you're a guest with us, this is your first time, uh, or if you're here, even if you've been here for years and you need some prayer, uh, let me invite you to just grab that blue card in the seat back in front of you, fill that out, let us know that you're here. I promise we won't stop by unannounced, we won't solicit, uh, but we do want to get to know you, and if there is a need that you have, that's the easiest way for us to do it. Either that or you can join us online at covenantexperience.com, but if you are a guest with us, my name's Joel and I'm one of the pastors here, and for those of you are part of the Covenant family especially, I am really excited about what we have coming this week, Uh, and it all starts today. I've said before many times, nobody grows in a vacuum. It's why we need the body of Christ. It's why we need brothers and sisters, and it's why we need people who are a little bit ahead of us, and sometimes even a lot ahead of us on on down the road, who can model for us what it looks like. And every once in a while, I get to introduce you to one of those people that's influenced me. And even less frequently, sometimes you get to hear from those people directly. And and today is is one of those days. I've known Bob Roberts since 2005. I was thinking about this, Bob, just this weekend. We met at the Weston Hotel in Atlanta, Georgia in 2005. You were speaking at a conference. I was a young pastor trying to make sense of the world that was emerging. I was a little bit confused, honestly, a little bit disillusioned at that point in my life, early 30s, trying to figure out the disconnect between some of what I was reading about the church and its place in the world and what I was experiencing and, frankly, feared I might not even be capable of doing. As a pastor and a spiritual leader, I was reading men like Abraham Kuyper, and I was so excited about the world that he described, but he'd been dead for 100 years. And I thought to myself, surely somebody's got to still be alive who thinks like this. And then I met Bob. And the Lord has taken me on a journey with a man who's been gracious enough to allow me to follow him around the world and learn from him. And the thing I know about a good mentor is this. They're no good to you if they don't push you. They're no good to you if they don't challenge you. They're they're no good to you if they don't even occasionally make you mad. And Bob has done all of those things. And, and he has done those things while at the same time believing in me and pushing me to the ragged edge of the mission. The world opened up for me because the Lord used this man to do it. Uh, and so that, that's why I'm excited. He's the founder of GlocalNet. That's one of our ministry partners that we plant churches alongside of and do ministry work around the world. He also helped found a GVI, Glocal Ventures. Some of you who worked with us in Vietnam recognize that NGO as our primary partner over there, and he and his wife are here over the weekend. He's going to help us do some training this week with our folks on campus, but today he gets to bring God's Word to you. Would you help me welcome Bob Roberts? On one, two, three. All right, it's good to be with you today. Uh, I, you know, I the best memory I have of Joel is in Vietnam. We were in this little boat, uh, 
paddling out in this lake, sweating like pigs, and uh, just having fun out there and talking, watching the fish jump up in the air. I don't know if you remember that, but that's my favorite memory, Joel, of you hanging out. I'm, I'm excited to be here with you today. Uh, I'm not used to preaching 20 minutes, but Joel told me that's how much time he preaches, and so I'm going to keep in line with, with what he does and get you out. I'm just teasing you, Joel. I'm just teasing you. Uh, I, I don't know if you realize the level of blessing God has upon you for many reasons. Uh, first of all, uh, you do have an exceptional pastor and pastor's wife in Joel and Amy. Do you realize that? Um, you, you need to be aware. You may not. You need to be aware that we're running into a significant pastor shortage. More pastors are quitting and leaving the ministry than any other time in American history. It's hard. The church has been politicized. The racial issues are real. There's so many issues, and no matter what you do, it's not going to be the right thing. And Christians aren't always Christians in how they disagree. Did y'all know that? Sometimes they act more like people without Jesus than people with Jesus. We just came through it at my church. You know, do you wear a mask? Do you not wear a mask? And no matter what you did, no matter who you looked for, for recommendations on what to do, you're going to have half the church mad of you saying you were demon-possessed and going to hell, which is probably true. But nonetheless, nonetheless, these are tough days to pastor. And you have an exceptional pastor. And you need to know that. You need to let him know you appreciate him, you value him. He never says anything but positive things about you to me. But I'm just telling you, it's hard to pastor. And you don't want to lose your pastor. You need to encourage him. You need to support him. You need to thank him. You can disagree with him, but you can disagree with him and be nice. Amen? I mean, if you can't do that, something wrong with you. Go join the Methodist church or become a Catholic <laughs> or something like that. But disagree. For God's sakes, we're Baptists. That's what congregation was like. But Anyone who's got to get mean and hateful, that talks more about your spiritual life than it does anything else. But encouraging. You don't want to lose him. You have a very educated pastor. You realize that. He's got a PhD, and yet he's the most kind, down-to-earth man I know. Now, Nikki's partial. She says, Bob, Joel may be smart, but Amy's twice as smart. She <laughs> reads books that Amy's reading to try to keep up with her. And I'm not, I'm not kidding you about that. So you have a smart pastor, you have a loving, he loves his place. Let me tell you something else you ought to be excited about. He's been here seven years. When you come to an established church, most pastors only stick around two to four years. Did you know that? That's it. He's been here seven years. The truth of the matter is, a church really doesn't start moving out with a pastor who comes in. I know young pastors hate to hear this when they go to an established church, but you're going to have to be there at least seven years to have significant credibility. And once you do, it's enough time for people to have seen you, know you. They don't have to question your integrity, your character, your leadership. They know the style that you do, all of that. And so I'm excited for you. You're at a good turning point. I'm also excited. I'm just stunned to see this many people here at 9 in the morning. This is rare. No, no, I'm not kidding you. You understand that the church is going through a major transition in America right now. Are you aware of that? It's not minor. It's very serious. For the first time in the history of the church, in about a two-year period, we lost 9% of people for sure. 25% have just dropped out. They're not coming back. But 9% uh, 
of the young generation has just left. They've just left. They said enough. They're tired of the politicization of the church. They're tired of the angriness sometimes of the church. And let me, let me make it real clear. I'm a Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching, Spirit-filled, conservative, I don't mind saying the word. I hope I don't get in trouble, Joel. Evangelical Christian. I'm just not political. I'm in love with Jesus. Nobody else. And I just, we have unintentionally, the way we've come across, pushed people out of church because they came looking for Jesus and they got something else. And we've got to bring that back. They're looking for spirituality. They're looking for intimacy with Jesus. They've just given up on finding it in the church. And whatever you're doing that's keeping people here, keep doing it for God's sakes. For God's sakes, keep doing it. You just probably don't realize how serious it is. This is my life. It's what I study. It's where I'm at. And so I just want to encourage you, please move forward, not just for yourself, but for the sake of other churches, for the sake of other Christians. You're a model. You really are. And so I just, I just want to encourage you in those things. These things are significant. And so uh, you're one of those churches. As a matter of fact, there is a term that we use to describe these churches. I mean, you plant churches, you work in Vietnam, you're deeply involved in, you're always wanting your church to become more of a community center versus a Sunday event. And if we've learned anything in the last few years, we've learned churches more than a Sunday event. Churches that have made it through, there are two things that, that differentiated them. Here, here's what it was. Uh, number one, uh, church was not just a Sunday event. But there were two things that happened. They had a strong small group ministry. I mean, people were in their small groups, so they kept that community, whether it was Zoom or whatever else, they did not lose that sense of community. They leaned on one another. The second thing was they were serving churches. And I don't mean Sunday morning. I mean, they were in the community serving. They were helping the poor. They were helping the needy. They were serving. Those two things differentiates the church. And that's what the early church was like. The great tragedy of what has happened is we just view those as additional ministries to Sunday morning. In the early church, it was reversed. Sunday was the result of what went through all week long, not some primary thing, and then we build everything else around it. It's very different, but we're getting back to that. Your church is what some people would call an apostolic church. You definitely have an apostolic pastor. Now, I'm not talking, you may have heard that term associated with Pentecostalism or something else. That's not what I'm talking about. In the purest sense of the world, word, the concept of the apostolic church is a church that lives outside itself. Now, every church should live outside itself, but most do not. But there are a handful of churches that are apostolic. Jerusalem was the center of where the church started, but truthfully, Antioch was more of an apostolic church than Jerusalem was. And in time, Ephesus became that apostolic church. What, what, what does that mean? It's a church that's multiplying itself. It's a church that's helping other churches. It's a church that's a model to other churches. It's a church that doesn't define all of its success and numbers by what takes place on Sunday, but what takes place, how many churches are out in the community that you've helped plant and across America and around the world. It's a church that its success is not how many people come to hear their preacher preach, but how many of the members of that church are serving on a weekly basis in the community. It's a church that is a reflection of Jesus, 
not just on the part of the staff, but on the part of all the body of Christ. And it's seen in the community. That's what an apostolic church, it's building the blueprints. It's a blessed church. It's a generous church. That's what it's about. And you're one of those churches. You have that reputation. You really do. You ought to be excited about it. But it isn't yours. So you need to give the glory to God. Amen? If there's anything that's gotten in the way of the church today, it's churches and pastors that are full of themselves. One wants to be worshipped and the other wants to be comfortable. And both are a sin. There's only one worthy of worship and there's only one who we should ever seek His comfort and glory, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen? So that's what I want us to do. Now, y'all, I don't know all the details of it, but I know that y'all are always figuring out how to move forward and to become more of a community center, if you will, in the community. And so I want to commend you for that. How do you become a place? Kids and other things in the community where you're representing this whole body, this whole community of believers. You've been given a gift. So I want to talk to you a little bit about not what you're plan what your program is, but I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, to 2 Corinthians 4, and I want to talk to you about what do you do when God gives you a gift or a ministry like He has given you. Now, you need to know this about me. I'm from Texas, and I went over and I stood by the Texas Monument at Antietam. Don't get upset with me, but I did. Even took my picture by it. And then I texted my little brother, who's an expert on the Civil War, and all my family fought in the Civil War, and uh, from Texas, and I literally had some cousins and some direct descendants that were here, that were on that battlefield. And they left here, and many of them went to Gettysburg, and then they came back trying to, when they were retreating back to Texas, uh, that's where many of them got shot on the way back home retreating. I shouldn't laugh about that, but I didn't know them. Anyhow, those are my ancestors. And so uh, when, when I came here and I was looking around, the reality is, that this is an unusual place. I mean, Lewis and Clark, where they started at Harper's Ferry. I mean, you're a place that has shaped history in profound ways. Why shouldn't you shape history for the kingdom of God? Now, listen to me. You may think, oh, Bob, we're Shepherdstown. A couple of thousand people, 300,000 people in the area. Guys, listen to me. God's picture of what it takes to shape the world is rarely people who have all the resources they need to do it. It's generally people who have nothing but faith, courage, and endurance. When you're given a gift, what do you do with that? I've been in D.C. all week. I work with different countries. We go in and we get pastors and imams together where, frankly, many pastors are persecuted. And I have a friend who's an imam. He's the leader of a Muslim a mosque, like their church. Uh, we say imam, they say, we say pastor, they say imam. We say church, they say mosque. So I go with this imam all over the world. We were in Pakistan two weeks ago. Uh, we're, we'll be in Sudan in another week. My wife's going with me. She'll be working with Muslim and Christian women. And we try to help people to get to know one another. It's hard to kill somebody you become friends with. And so I was meeting with uh, some people from Iraq. They're wanting us to go there and begin the work and do the same thing. I don't know if you're aware, but Christians in the Middle East, have gone, especially Iraq, have gone from 1.2 million down to 200,000. It's a serious issue. And those that are there are holding on literally for dear life. It's a very difficult thing. So I'm sitting there, and I know this about Arab culture, and I just wasn't thinking in my head this last week. And I was meeting with one of their government ministers, and he was trying to get us to come there. And I looked on his finger... And he had this ring. 
This is a beautiful ring. Isn't that beautiful? Do you like that ring? Would you like to have that ring? You can't have it. I mean, so I, I looked at it and I was not thinking. And I said, that is a beautiful ring. And immediately he got it. He took it off. And he said, I'm glad you like it. Here, it's yours. I said, oh, I can't take that. He said, no, it's yours. And I looked at it and I thought, well, that's a probably big old red stone. It's going to be a ruby. And if it's a ruby, it's worth millions or it's a garnet. It's probably worth 20 bucks. So, so, so I thought, okay. So I, thought, so, I thought, so, so I said, okay, finally, he kept persisting back and forth. And so, so I asked him, I said, so that's a garnet? He said, no. And I said, it can't be a ruby. He said, oh, no, it's not a ruby. He said, there's another stone and it's an Arab stone. I don't know what it is. It's a stone in the Middle East, but it's supposed to have the value between a ruby and a garnet. It's probably more like a garnet than a ruby, I'm guessing. But I'm going to find out because I'm just curious. And so he gave it to me and I didn't know if it, but if it, now does that look good or what? Now, now my wife tells me, I don't wear jewelry. And my wife tells me, don't you wear that ring, Bob? It's gaudy. I, I kind of like it. So I then asked the guy, who wears this ring? And he said, businessman. I said, oh, really? He said, yes, it's to show their wealth. And when they talk, they use their hands like that all the time to draw attention to their ring because they want everyone to see how that they're wealthy. And, and you know, I just, I'm, do y'all care if I wear this while I preach this morning? I just like to wear it because it makes me feel good and it's stuck with me until I can get back home. But this is a gift. And I love this gift. And I like this gift because it does look good, even though it's gaudy. It does look good. And it came from a friend. And it has significance. And so this is probably the only weekend I will ever wear this. I've been wearing it since he gave it to me three days ago. Probably the only time. And every day my wife says, take that thing off. What's wrong with her? It looks good. And a lot of times what we like to do with a special gift is just show everybody you know, and we just put up, you know, I think I'm going to get five of the six of these rings. I mean, move over Benny Hinn, Bobby's in town. I mean, I got it going on now, people. Don't mess with me. But what do you do with the gift that God gives you? He's given you a gift. The gift of this church, the gift of one another, the gift of great leadership, the gift of the whole body of Christ. What do you do with that? 2 Corinthians 4 is a profound passage because it explains what do you do with it. I'm just going to give you three things this morning. So it starts out, Paul is in this apostolic ministry that we've been talking about, just like your church. And he says, therefore, since we have this ministry as we have received, we do not lose heart. You would think when you get a word from God, you're excited. Amen. God has said it. You know where you're going. We're going to bust hell wide open. That's about the first week of the new ministry plan. After about a year, it gets, it gets tough. We don't lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame. So not only do we have to move forward and not lose heart, but we have to keep dealing with our heart. Amen? How many of you have ever committed a sin? Can I see your hands? How many of you have ever committed a really big sin? Can I see your hands if you don't mind? Oh, wow. What did you do? I'm just curious. <laughs> I was just wondering. I just couldn't help but wonder what. I mean, and, and so it says, if we're going to be close to God, what do we do? We have to keep renouncing and dealing with our heart because if we don't, if we don't, then stuff creeps in. 
And it doesn't generally, these preachers who crash and burn morally, here's what happens. It isn't all of a sudden they just crashed and burned. But their heart started getting hardened. Pride, whatever, got in their heart and it was allowed to sit there. And, and he talks about dealing with our own heart, but he says we're going to push the gospel forward. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Let's stop right there. In other words, if people aren't following Jesus, it's not because we've not been unveiling Christ in public. We've been telling them. But the only thing that keeps them from seeing the gospel is their eyes are just blinded by the God of this world so that they will not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, I like that. Look, look at what it says. It's going to excite you. Get ready. You need to put on your spiritual seatbelts. Here we go. The gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Who else? was created in the image of God. Who, who else? Oh, my word. Oh, my word. We're in the family. Jesus is our brother. God is our father. The Spirit has connected us and sealed us into the family. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. Now, let's go back. They will see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. All right? For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants on account of Jesus. For God said, who let the light... Now, he's already used the word lights once before. He's going to use it again. He's already used the word glory before. He's going to use it a few times. Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. They were seeing the glory of God every time they looked on Jesus. Whew, let that sink in. Let that sink in. When he talks about the glory of God, there's a couple of things that glory is. Glory, it describes here, is an illumination. Something tied to the Old Testament. It was called the Shekinah glory. It was the idea when God was present, the light was so bright, it would just shine down on them. It's also describing this reverence, this awe of God. Joel and I were talking yesterday, and I love how you did your worship today. You had some quiet moments where you could hear from God. You don't have to be banging the drums and screaming at the top of your lungs preaching the whole time in the service. Can't we make room for God? Can't we sometimes just be quiet and just say, what are you saying to me right now, Father? And literally what he's saying here is, it is the glory of God. He's the star, not the singer, not the preacher, in the face of Christ. And then he goes on to say, but we have this treasure in earthen contagions so that extraordinary greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. So the power of God in our life comes from the Trinity. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Or in other words, man, it's tough, isn't it? He's excited, but it's tough. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying around in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who live are constantly being handed over to death because of Jesus. They're martyrs. So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore, 
I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and will present us with you. Guys, I get excited about being resurrection. You know, I'm 65, just turned 65. There's a lot of bad things about being 65. But there's, there, there's a few really good things. And one of the few good things is you start looking forward to the resurrection. I mean, he's going to just, I mean, you, at my age, you got a lot of people in heaven you can't wait to see. You got a lot of body parts that have worn out. You can't wait to get replaced. And I mean, you don't want to go to the doctor. I had two knees replaced last year. Don't want to go through that again. But I mean, I can't wait to see him one day. Verse 15, for all things are for your sakes, so that grace, having spread to more and more people, will cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Man, he says it again for about the fourth time. Therefore, it's like he's starting the chapter over again. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But through our outer person is decaying, yet our inner person is being revealed day by day. It's glory of God for our momentary light affliction. Isn't that something? He's, he's literally saying we're going to be persecuted to the point that we're going to die, but it's light affliction. It's light affliction is producing for us, and here's what I want to talk to you about, an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. In other words, it's like a precious stone or it's like gold. It's something of value. So every bad thing you're going through for the gospel, and did you hear what I said? For the gospel. We all go through bad stuff. Lost people go through bad stuff. I mean, if you came to Jesus so you wouldn't have to go through bad stuff, you crazy. It don't work that way. You may have heard it that way, but it doesn't work that way. The bad stuff you go through, listen, for the gospel, persecuted, struck down, perplexed. God, where are you? All of these things that you feel, you're going to stay faithful to God in that marriage, though it's hard. You're going to stay faithful to God at that job, though it's hard. You're going to stay faithful to God even though somebody is making fun of you. You're going to stay faithful to God even though you're broke. You're going to stay faithful to God even though people make fun of you. You're going to stay faithful to God regardless of the circumstances. You will not turn to the right. You will not turn to the left. You're going to march forward. You may not be the fastest one. You may not be the smartest one, but you are not going to stop. You're going to move forward. And he says, what you suffer for the gospel. Let's make that clear. In other words, that's where you choose to do right. You choose to obey God and it's going to cost you. You choose to do it. There's this heavy weight that's coming out of it. This eternal weight. It's going to continue throughout eternity. Beyond all comparison. And then I love this. As a little teenage kid, I memorized this verse and it stayed with me my whole life. I don't know why as a teenager it captured me, but it did. While we look, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen, love, sacrifice, 
walking through hell with the Holy Spirit in your heart, those things are eternal. We don't wait and start living eternal lives when we die. You were born an eternal creation before you ever came out of your mother's womb. You're eternal. The question is, is your eternity focused on the world? And we know where that leads. Or is your eternity focused on Jesus? And if you live your life starting with eternity in this moment, listen, not only will eternity work out good for you way out in the future, but eternity in your present will also work out a lot better. So if this is how we live, what do we do with it? Because I'm preaching you a passage that's very dear to my heart because my spiritual father, my last spiritual father just died. I'm 65. I have no more spiritual fathers. I've had phenomenal spiritual fathers in my life. A Presbyterian named Leighton Ford, a businessman named Bob Buford, an evangelism professor named Roy Fish, and then the last one, Jim Hilton. He's now gone. I buried him this last month. I loved him with all of my heart. He was 88. He went to be with the Lord. And I remember one day when I wanted to quit, I sat at a Chinese cafe with him. And he said, will you leave me too, Bob? I said, no, Jim, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to be your friend, even if I'm not pastor anymore. He said, no, no, no. I'm asking you. Jesus is asking you. I'm asking you for Jesus. Will you leave me now? And I just thought to myself, no, I, I have to endure this. And he took me over and he showed me this, the eternal weight of glory. And he said, Bob, in my life, I preached great revivals. I preached great meetings. I saw God do all kinds of things. But I also began to realize so much of it, I wasted the glory of God. I said, what do you mean, Jim? He said, the glory of God was always present. He was always wanting to be magnified. He was always wanting to be lifted up, but I wasted it. I waste, it's wasted glory, Bob. And it's not your glory, it's God's glory. It's wasted glory when you don't finish the course. It's wasted glory when you don't obey what God has told you to do. He's given you all his glory to extend to the end of the earth. And he's going to share that glory with us one day. And it's wasted glory. And he said, I look back on my life and as a pastor and as an evangelist, and I look back on my life at things I did in the church, and there was so much wasted glory. And that phrase just stuck with me. I couldn't escape it, and I've never been able to get from it. And it's literally what I preached at his funeral earlier in the month. Wasted glory. Wasted glory. You don't want to waste. It's not just a matter of squandering gifts that God has given you. It's not just a matter of missing an opportunity to make an impact in the community. It's not just a matter of being a model church. It's a matter, listen to me, of wasting and squandering the glory of God. That ought to scare you to death. That ought to guard what you say, how you say it. 
It ought to make you think, is this my opinion or is this what Jesus wants? It ought to make you think, is this my flesh getting in the way? Are these my desires or is this what is everything that I say giving God glory or am I diminishing the glory of God by what I say? Am I robbing this church and I'm robbing myself of what God wants to do in my life, in the life of this church, in the life of this community because I'm flippant with the glory of God? When you live your life in light of the glory of God, it changes everything. Some of you confess your sins because you feel guilt and shame. There's a handful of you that probably confess your sins, not just the obvious ones that make you feel guilt and shame, but you walk in the fullness of the Spirit, and in doing so, the light of God is an x-ray. And when the glory of God comes on you and the x-ray of heaven shines down on you, you see things in your life you're not going to see any other way. And you confess sin, not merely because you feel guilty or shameful, but you see the darkness of your heart. You understand what I'm saying? That's why I'm saying we confess the obvious. Those things that aren't obvious are the things we need to deal with the worst because those are the things that make us do things that we're shameful of. So we look on the outside, it's obvious. I'm with friends with all these Vietnamese communist diplomats and they always ask me about two sins, adultery and greed. Because, well, there you have it. Don't need to say anymore. But what's in that heart that makes them do that? So what do you do with this? What do you do with this? Let me give you three things. Joel, this is horrible. What time did I start preaching? Can you tell me? I've never had, I need to know, because I, I don't, I don't want to go, I don't want to go over that 20 minutes and mess it up. So if you could just, I, I don't want to go over. Joel, don't look at me and do that. Seriously, how, how long have I been up? Oh no, this is bad. All right. Okay, y'all start waving at me when it gets time. Okay, I see you there. Okay, so thank you very much, sir. So here it is, number one. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. You got to steward it. You got to steward it. It's not yours, it's God's. It's not yours, it's God's. What you have is not because of your gift. Joel is much smarter than me. Joel's got a PhD. He's really, I'm not teasing you, Joel is smart. I'm not as smart as Joel, but I don't feel inferior to Joel. I feel like God's given me other things. I don't have to be as smart as Joel to please God. I just have to be obedient, and Joel has to be obedient with the gifts that he has. Do you follow me? Joel's a better preacher than I am. Joel's probably a better pastor than I was. When I look at Joel, he does a ton of things so much better than me. I mean, I mean just, just a lot of them. <clears throat> but your measure is not how much better do you do than somebody else. It's what God has given you. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 17. I have been entrusted with a stewardship. In other words, God's given me something. What has God given you? God gave me this ring. Show me your little cheapo rings out there, would you real quick? It doesn't matter who's got the biggest ring. It matters, are you using the ring that he's given you? And, and, and can I just tell you something? God generally doesn't use gaudy stuff. It likes to draw attention to itself too much. Did you know most pastors don't even know he has a PhD? He talks like me. I'm from Texas. We talk like this. <laughs> He's from South Carolina. Listen to him talk. What's wrong with him? Guys, you don't have to impress people with what you know. I never put doctorate by my name either. I never did. I've got a D-men. 
It's an inferior degree to Joel's. It's, I want to be clear about that. It's a good degree, but anyhow, it does what it needs to. My point is, God works in your life not because you got all this, because he's already got all that and more. It's your obedience that he's working with people, not your giftedness. He gifted you. And sometimes the reason he doesn't gift some of you, he wants a lot of glory out of you. And when people know that Yahoo over there, God uses him and it makes no sense to any of the rest of us. I remember I once taught this guy how to share his faith and lead people to the Lord. And so I took him out to share his faith with somebody. He did a horrible job. And I thought, oh my gosh. And before it was over, that person had prayed to receive Christ. He was talking to, got baptized. He discipled him. So I just thought, you know what? I, I just don't need to worry if it's perfect or not. He's, he's doing something. He's drawing people in a way that I can't. He, you've, been, you've been entrusted with something. God didn't gift you as much as he Put something inside of you. He imparted into you something you were not born with. I love 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. We have been approved by God to be stewards with the gospel. To be stewards with the gospel. So we hear what he says. We receive it and we live it out. We live it out. Hey, Joel, I need a Kleenex or something. Would you find me something to... Blow my nose on. I'm from Texas. We, we, we're just struggling. I'm sorry. My wife just sitting there. She's giggling right now and thinking it's so funny. I'm sorry. I got emotional and I shouldn't do that. Y'all ignore me. Turn, turn the camera off for a minute. Is it okay, honey? All right. Okay, thank you. Now these people aren't going to throw up on the front row. Back to the sermon. So we... He, he has put something inside of you, so we steward it. We, we take it. It's our commission. I like what Paul says. It's not just a stewardship. It's a commission. It's a commission. There's the great commission. We all share that. And in that great commission, you got a commission. And that's what spiritual gifts are about. I hate it when people get obsessed with their spiritual gifts. My spiritual gift is this, so I started a ministry around my gift. No, you don't have a ministry. Get over yourself. It's the ministry of Jesus. That's what we're fulfilling. And those gifts exist to fulfill that. It's the gift giver. He gives us gifts. He gives us steward. And when he does that, it changes everything. So we steward it. Here's the second thing. We endure it. We don't give up. I've already talked about it a little bit. We don't give up. We don't stop. We don't grow weary. We don't lose heart. We deal with the junk in our life. We, we realize it's the cross no matter what happens, God will wind up doing something. And when we do that, we may be shocked at what he does. You know, God has opened massive doors for the ministry that I'm involved in. This last year, or in 2022, I spoke in 35 mosques at their Friday prayers. 35 mosques, Muslim places of worship, because I'm friends with all these imams. That's unheard of. I spoke in the third largest mosque of the world at their Juma prayers. That's kind of a big deal. Y'all may not understand that, but it's a big deal. It's where they do. And you know what I got up and spoke? Here, here was my message, Luke 9, 23. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's what I spoke. Quoted that verse, and that's what I spoke. And I, said, and I told the Muslims, I said, now let me explain to you what that verse means. We Christians think it means we need to be willing to die for Jesus, and that's true. But when Jesus gave this verse to the apostles in Luke 9, they had no clue that he was going to die on a cross. 
So what does that mean? They wouldn't think he's going to die on a cross. What it really meant was Jesus was saying is, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to die for people, and I'm going to die for people that are not going to accept me. I want you to be willing to do the same thing. Take up his cross and follow me daily. Did you know that's what all the apostles did? Except for John, they all died an apostle's death, and he was martyred for many years. They all gave their lives for people who would not accept the gospel. So when I'm staring them up, so I would say, so who matters to me like that? You do. I know most of you Muslims would never accept Jesus. Some of you may. I'd like to baptize every single one of you. But regardless, I love you that much, and I care about you. And they hear me say that, and some of my mom hears about it. I said, man, i got to get this Baptist preacher to come preach. And so I've wound up with a mosque ministry. Never heard of it before. Bob Roberts' mosque ministry. <laughs> An Arab gave it to me, a Muslim. Guys, I don't know what mosque ministry is, but God does. And so he's got this ministry he wants done, and so he opens the door. Do you follow what I'm saying? I wonder what he wants to do with you. Guys, what you can see are merely visible acts of obedience that God uses to determine if he wants to give you more treasured things to do. That's what I've learned at the age of 65. Everything I thought was important to do, there was something far more important that God wanted to do, but I couldn't see it. But that little step of obedience in that one thing led to another thing. So now I work with governments, go into crazy countries I shouldn't be able to get into, and God's opened all of those doors. 2010 through 2015 was the worst part of my ministry for my entire life. It's when we begin to reach all these Muslims and everything began to happen. It was an incredible experience. But people in my own church struggled with it. We literally lost hundreds of people. It was painful. It was hard. Many people got upset, angry, they left. Why are you friends with Muslims? And I would say, well, how can I not be friends with Muslims? I'm a Christian. I want want to get to hear about Jesus. If I'm not friends with people, how can I not tell them about Jesus? Guys, let me tell you something. The scripture is clear about right and wrong. We don't have to agree with somebody, but we got to love them all. Love God, love your neighbor, love your enemies. Nobody is left out. But because some people left so loud, things were written, things were said, it made the Muslim community take note. And the next thing you know, it opened doors for me in the world. But you can't imagine. So God's opened doors where I work with world leaders in the Muslim community. I can go into countries and talk about persecution and things that few people get to. But I had to be willing to endure it. Many times I'd come home at night, I was ready to quit. I've just had it. Not only was it hard, it was disillusioning for me. Do you know what I am? Are y'all Southern Baptist, Joel? I'm Southern Baptist. Do you know what I am? I'm the product of being born and bred and raised since a little baby in the nursery in a Southern Baptist church. I was taught the Great Commission was everything. I learned the Royal Ambassador Pledge. I was taught that Jesus died for the sins of the world. We needed to be willing to give our lives. I was taught to love everybody. I am the product of somebody who took literal everything I was taught as a little boy. And I never stopped believing it. And I was also taught that it was more important to be obedient to God than to try to stay with their tradition or keep everybody happy. I was taught about people like Lottie Moon and Felix Muntz, and I could go on and on down the list. People who got out on the edge because they loved people so much. So when people give me a hard time, I say, no, 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 no. I'm what Baptist tradition is all about. History, if you know the history of Baptist. 
Steward it. Endure it. And finally, finish it. Finish it. God really spoke to me in a profound way. Philippians 1.6. This is my vision for this year. As a matter of fact, every year, I'm a big goals guy. I set all these goals. This year, I didn't sing a single goal. I got too much to do. I don't need new goals. I need to finish everything on my plate. And I begin to pray, what's my word for the year, Lord? What do you want me to do? That's what I heard. Finish it. <coughs> Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will complete it. Complete it, Lord. And then I ran across Joshua 11.15, where the Bible says of Joshua, he left nothing undone that the Lord commanded. Man, that is a tombstone kind of verse there. That's in a runner for my tombstone. I like that. If it's true, I want it to be true. He left nothing undone that the Lord commanded. And then John 17, 4, I have finished the work which you gave me to do. He finished it on the cross. What does he say? It is finished. It's exactly what he said. Finish it. Finish it. I love 1 Corinthians 16, 9. It says, a wide door of effective service or opportunity, and there are many adversaries. So you got this vision of what kind of church God's called you to be in this community and in the world, and of multiplying that DNA through other churches and helping them out and everything else. It's foolish to think you're going to do that and there won't be adversaries. Amen? So here's what I want to say to you. Stand up. Lean forward. Have courage. Finish it. Extend the glory of God. Don't waste a single thing that He's given you. Holy Spirit, I pray for this church. I pray for these people. Move on them. Use them. Let them experience the fullness of who you are. Thank you for Joel. Thank you for them. Here's what I pray, God. From this little spot in the world, there is so much history of a country. Here's what I pray. That one of the greatest kingdom stories of all time will come from this geographical area, through this church, through this pastor, through these people. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.